Well, good morning, North Boulevard. Thank you for joining us. And as uh, Sean's already said, the internet somehow has given us some problems. So here's what. If for some reason your service stutters or pauses or something like that, take that as a sign from God that you should be reflecting on what I just said that moment. We'll have a better version uploaded later on today or tomorrow sometime, but thanks for joining us. I'll start with these words. We, four words. We believe in you. It was the summer of 1981. I had just finished my sophomore year at Fried Hardeman studying to be a minister. I grew up in a family, we didn't make a lot of money. There were seven of us and, uh, you know, daddy worked hard, but we were probably on the lower end of the income spectrum. We, um, first part of my life, I lived in Antioch, Tennessee, out of Nashville, and then the second part in Smyrna. No one in my family tree had gone to college, and I, I really didn't think I was going to be able to go. I've told you the story. Someone encouraged me to ask other churches in uh, Rutherford County to help me out, which seven of them did, and I'm forever in their debt. One of those was the Science Hill Church of Christ in Readerville, close to Readerville, between Kittrell and Readerville. And uh, in the summer of 81, they asked me to come and do an internship with them. And I was thrilled. I had no idea what to do. Even after that point, I still really never thought I'd, I would actually get to be a minister. I'm not sure why. I just didn't really believe in myself. I, I thought, well, you know, something will go wrong. I, I'm, I'll never make it. But all summer long, that church treated me royally. They didn't even give me a job description. James Hale, who's a basketball coach at MTCS at the time, he was also their lead preacher. So he would do the sermons and they just said, uh, I remember one of the elders telling me when I got there, I said, what do I do? He said, just, I don't know, walk the streets and invite people to church, which is, that's what I did for the whole summer. I think I knocked, and I'm not making this up, on every door between uh, probably uh, Rutherford Boulevard and Woodbury. And by the way, if for those of you who think knocking doors doesn't matter, I baptized five people that summer by knocking on doors. The church invested in me. Um, people, people were just super generous. Uh, Roy Arnold lived on the old Woodbury Highway, and I remember him calling me over one time and saying, I'd like to paint your car. My, my car had three colors on it because I had bought it with $250, which is all I had. And I just said, I don't, I don't see why you need to do that. Years later, I realized he probably was embarrassed that I was driving the car, but it was just so nice. So he just gave me $250 and said, do what you want to do with it, which was an enormous sum to me. I remember a welder at the uh, Science Hill Church of Christ, uh, Robert Lehew. So uh, I think Lehew welding is still up there. One time he just came up to me and said, I just so appreciate what you're doing. I want to give you a gift. And he handed me a $100 bill. And at the age of 20 years old, I'd never seen a $100 bill. I, I, I held onto that thing for, I don't know, a week or so. But I asked him, what do you want me to do with it? He said, I don't know, take your girlfriend out. Well, Julie and I were already dating at the time, and I probably got 20 dates out of that $100 bill, just loving on her. But right towards the end of the summer, I was riding around with one of my favorite all-time people, Bud Mitchell of Bud's Tires. Bud was such an encourager to me. He later became an elder at the time. He was just a really active member on the track to become an elder. In fact, he became an elder while I was there. Bud would take me around. He, he never let me pay for gas. He would always put gas in my car. He replaced the tires on my car. He just constantly encouraged me. Almost every day, I would have lunch with Bud and Kay. And right towards the end of the summer, still really insecure in who I am. Um, I, I'm telling this story for a lot of reasons, by the way. One of them is I just want to love on the people who loved on me. But I want my kids to know that this is what, this is what people did for me. Towards the end of the summer, I said to Bud, why are y'all so nice to me? And 
you know, he's, he's got a great sense of humor and almost always he would have responded with humor. But this one time he was serious and he looked at me and he gave me the four words that I have played over and over and over again in my head since 1981. He said, well, David, we believe in you. You know, every time I've gotten discouraged or, you know, thought about giving up or when I felt down or fearful uh, in ministry, I've gone back to those words, we believe in you. It's really amazing how much power our words have for one another. You know, Proverbs 18 and verse 21 says, the power of life and death are in the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. We really do have the power of life and death in our tongues right now. So I'm gonna keep the lesson relatively short again, but I wanna make sure you know who I'm talking to in this lesson. So let me just address a couple of relationships. Parents, I'm talking to you and your relationship with your children. If you've got children, no matter what their age is, even if they're grown up and moved out, I'm talking to you today. Husbands, I'm talking to you about your wives. And wives, I'm talking to you about your husband's children. I'm talking to you, no matter what your age is, about your parents. And small group leaders, I'm talking to you as shepherds of a flock. I want us to think today, how can I use my words to give life? I don't want us to underestimate the pain that a lot of us are in right now in the middle of this, our seventh week of congregational exile of the pandemic, the shutdown. Um, I've been calling, a lot of the leaders here have been calling and doing wellness checks on you guys. I've probably called 70 or 80 of you so far. I'll say this, most of you are in a really good mood. Here's the cool thing about being in a pandemic and a lockdown. People answer their phones. I'm getting to talk to a lot of you right now. It's actually encouraging. And your optimism is very inspiring to me. But I understand that even behind a lot of the optimism, there is some pain. There's anxiety. Um, bouts of depression are worse now than they were seven weeks ago. A lot of our relationships are, are feeling strained right now. I want to say this, if you're a small group leader, do not underestimate the feelings of isolation that people in your group are experiencing right now. That many people are feeling lonely. Julie and I have been talking about this. We've not slept all that well lately. I, actually, I'm feeling inspired. I don't feel all that anxious on the surface at least, but there must be some deep anxieties in me. There are a lot of sleep disorders, uh, insomnia right now. Uh, I've had bad dreams. Some of you probably had bad dreams. In fact, I've heard some of you tell me that you've been having a lot of bad dreams lately. There's just a lot of anxiety in the air. And we have the power, the book of Proverbs says, in our tongue to offer life and death. So here's the deal. In the middle of people's pain, God has given us a wonderful tool for building one another up. It's called encouragement. And I want us to consider it for the next 15 or 20 minutes. The text is 2 Corinthians, the first chapter. I'll read it in two sections. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4a, and then we'll go back to 4b to 5. So just listen to what Paul says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. By the way, let me just pause. Let me finish and then I'll pause. Who comforts us in all our troubles. I'm going to stop right there. So the word that's translated comfort in most English translations is a Greek word that just means to encourage someone. Actually, it comes, the word comfort, the English word comfort comes from Latin terms that means to give people fortitude, to fortify them, to help them be strong. I like the word encouragement better because it just has built into it the idea that with my mouth, with my words, I have the ability to give you courage and you have the ability to give me courage. 
And so Paul says God is a God of all encouragement, that God encourages us. And I want you to think just for a second about all the ways that God encourages us, how God offers us hope, how God offers us peace, how in the midst of suffering you can turn to the Word of God, to a psalm, for example, or maybe a poem in the New Testament, and find great comfort that God's job is that of encouragement. I just want to say there's enormous power in encouragement. Again, we all know this. But I've thought a lot this week about all the encouragement I've received. I think, uh, so the office, we hope to office, open the office up in a week or so. But I've been working a lot from home, not, not fully, but a lot from home. And it's given me a lot of time just to think about the kids are grown. And I've looked back on my life a lot more. I'm 59 and all that sort of stuff. As I look back, I just think almost every turning point in my life, there was someone there who encouraged me, who just said the right word. And how many times I probably would have liked to have had an encouraging word that I didn't have one. My daughter asked me to paint a picture. I'm not much of an artist, but she asked me to paint a picture, a portrait, uh, uh, no, a landscape, I should say, of where her husband Dalton proposed to her in marriage. It's a, a, a landscape at Disney World. So I got started thinking about art lately, and you know, most of us high on our list of artists would be Vincent Van Gogh. So I started reading about Vincent Van Gogh. I just got interested in his life again. Here's a man who painted 860 oil paintings in his 37 years. He killed himself at the age of 37, put a bullet in his, uh, in his abdomen. 860 paintings, and of all those paintings, he only sold one in his lifetime. A man of despair, a man of loneliness, and a man of depression what would a word of encouragement have done for Vincent Van Gogh? Would it have changed everything for him? And my sense is that it would. By the way, I looked up online, a self-portrait of Van Gogh sold about 20 years ago for $71 million. Can you imagine if someone had encouraged him and he'd have had another 30 years of life, what we would have seen from this prolific, gorgeous post-impressionist writer, a, a painter, Van Gogh, this artist. I'm just trying to suggest that there's a lot of power that comes when we encourage each other. When we send a note, when we send a text, when we call one another, when we stop in the middle of life's busyness and speak to someone in our family and just say something that's encouraging to them. Don't underestimate the power of encouraging words. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. So let me keep reading. So 4b, verse 4b, 2 Corinthians 1. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds in Christ. So what Paul is saying is that just as God is an encourager of us, we want to become encouragers of one another. So I just want to suggest we need more encouragement now than most of us have needed in years maybe ever. We need encouragement now. We need encouraging words from one another. We need comfort from one another. We need to feel that someone cares about us. That's the greatest human need, is to know that you're loved. And I'm telling you, the greatest human need is to know that you are loved. That's why God calls himself love. God doesn't just have love. He isn't just loving. He is love. Our greatest need to know that we're loved. So let me give you five ideas of how you can encourage one another, very specific ideas. And I want to ask you again, think about this in terms of husband and wife relationships. So husbands, I'm talking to you. 
Wives, I'm talking to you. Small groups, you small group leaders, this is your time to thrive. I really believe that the, the greatest blessing God's going to give us as a congregation through this pandemic is that we're going to move from a church that has small groups to a church that's built on small groups. But that means that small group leaders have to be asking the right questions. How can I encourage one another? I'm even talking to you who are children. So uh, if you're a teenager, if you're a child, if you're already moved out of the house and married, this is your job to encourage your parents, parents to encourage your children. So first, recognize again the power of your words. Y'all remember about seven weeks ago, we were right in the middle of a fundraiser. In fact, we were just about to finish a fundraiser. And God willing, we're going to do it. Just have to put it on delay for a little while. But our chairman was Steve Flat. Steve Flat preached at the largest church of Christ uh, in the world. He was the president of Lipscomb University. Uh, he's now the, um, the uh, CEO of National Healthcare. I was teaching a Bible class at the East Campus probably seven or eight years ago. I was teaching on church history, and I just talked a little bit about uh, early 20th century church history. And when that class was over, when Steve Flack came down, I, you know, you, you got to know, he's like a role model for me. I frequently, Steve, I, I often ask myself this question, how would Steve Flat do this? I really do ask that question. I want to I know, how would a, a real leader do this? He came up to me after class, you, you won't remember this, but I'll never forget it, and said, David, that was one of the best classes I've ever sat through. I thought, oh my goodness, this guy, he ran a university full of Bible professors. They turned out preachers by the dozens every year. But he paused and said that to me, just the power of those encouraging words. And ever since, I really have asked that question. I wonder how Steve would do this. I'm just saying, words have so much power for one another. Don't underestimate the power of your words. Small group leaders, don't underestimate what you're doing when you have these Zoom calls, when you meet with your group. People are lonely. They're isolated. They want to know somebody cares. Don't underestimate the power that comes in our words. Second, I would praise your circle of people every single day. You know, Paul says this, it's in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. He says, let nothing unwholesome, that's how some of the translations say it. It's actually a word that is often translated rotting. Let nothing that, that leads to rot or decay come out of your mouth, but only that which builds one another up. You see, words are like bricks. Words are like bricks. You can use bricks to build a wall and divide people, but you can also use bricks to build a fantastic edifice, a fantastic home. Let's use our words to build one another up. You do that oftentimes by praising people. So let me say this about praise. There are two things I want you to know. The first thing I want to say is that find something specific to praise people for, and it puts your praise on steroids. So it's one thing to say, hey, you did a good job uh, with that meal last night. Julie's been cooking some great suppers. It's one thing to say, it's warm up here. It's one, I hope that's the part that skips, the part where I wipe my forehead. It's one thing to say you cooked a good meal. It's another thing to say, hey, what kind of cheese did you put in that? That was really good. No kidding. Just that subtle shift suddenly makes the whole compliment a whole lot richer. Find something specific to say, wow, when you did this, it was awesome. It was amazing. Name something specific when you praise. And the second thing I want to say is when you praise, praise in front of other people. Oh my goodness, when someone praises you in front of someone else, it triples, it just squeezes all the juice out of what you get from that act of praise. So 
this past Wednesday night, we were meeting uh, in the elders meeting, a Zoom elders meeting. It was really just a good meeting. Um, the, the elders meetings sometimes are really stressful because the problems that come into an elders meeting are often stressful problems. But our elders are just such generous and sweet, very loving men. I mean, I w we need to just open them up at some point. Elders, you, you all think about that, but I wish everybody could see what I get to see. And this past Wednesday night, several of them were just, they just said some really nice things about me. And to have someone say something nice about you in front of everybody else just makes it so much richer. When you praise people, look for something specific you can say. So small group leaders, look for something specific you can say. Say, that was not only a good answer, but that answer really gave me a lot of in insight into this text. Find something specific, and second, do it in front of people. Praise people in front. Listen, correct in private, praise in public. That's kind of a good rule of thumb. Okay, I got to keep going. Number three, I want to suggest that you ask questions because it shows you're listening. Ask questions. Listen, it's really important that you learn to ask people questions. How are you doing today? Tell me how your wife is. How's your family? And then I just want to say this again. I've said it three or four times. Ask the question, how are you feeling? Now, everybody just stop for a second. I want you to do this. If, if you're meeting all by yourself, Get your phone out and text this to somebody. But if you're meeting with someone right now, your husband, your wife, your kids, a small group, whatever it is, will you just pause for a second and look over at the other one and just say, don't answer the question, just ask it. How are you feeling? How do you feel? Ask that question. Go on and send a text message, it's okay. Nobody's watching. So send something. I want you to get in the habit of asking that question because we say, how you doing? And people say, I'm fine, you know, I went to work and they give all the data and so forth. When you say, how do you really feel? Now you've said to someone, I care about you. So I'm suggesting husbands, ask your wife, how are you feeling? Expose yourself. Wives, look, even if you don't like the guy, ask him, how do you feel? And then learn to listen, listen with compassion. Learn to listen to how one another feels. Here's another one. Say something that you know the other person wants to hear. I gotta share something with you. So, you know, um, we're used to hearing lessons where we tell parents to praise their children. But those of you who are children, and I'm a child, I mean, I'm the child of Robert and Gwen Young. Those of us who are grown up even, teenagers, whoever you are, you may not realize the power you have of praising your parents. Just know this, a lot of us parents are insecure. You, you came into the world, you didn't come with an instruction manual other than the scriptures, and we had to feel our way through it, and sometimes we did well, and sometimes we didn't, and we know we didn't. How encouraging it is, is it when my Rachel praises me? Rachel, you have no idea what it means to me to hear you say you're a good father or to tell me that you love me, or to pick some moving song that you and I can sing together. And my son, Jonathan, oh, he's just become so good at praising. I have to share this with you. So this was Jonathan's Christmas present to me. He and I listen to similar podcasts. Well, it's the same stuff. So at Christmas, Jonathan, rather than spending a lot of money, he went out and he made a whole lot of CDs of podcasts and gave them to me. But here's the cool thing. You can't see it. I don't know how, how well you can zoom in. On every CD, he wrote a loving message to his dad. I love you, Jonathan. 
You're the greatest dad. Thank you for all you do, dad. Best dad ever. <laughs> Merry Christmas, love you, dad. I mean, you're the best preacher ever. They just go on and on. Thank you for all you've done for me. So now every time I put one of these in, I get a loving message from my son. And you can't imagine what it does to us to have someone love on us. Your words have so much power. Life and death are found in the tongue, the proverb writer says. And those who love it will eat its fruit. My mama died in 2002, March the 6th of 2002. And uh, mama, she was sick. A lot, in my, all through my teenage years, she had a connective tissue disorder. It was similar to lupus, very serious, and eventually it killed her. During that time, she had to take a lot of medications, and there were times I'm not sure Mama was fully who, who, she, who she had been. And there were times Mama and I didn't get along. As a matter of fact, Mama was blue, and I'm green. And we really struggled to get along. I, I don't think I was bad to her. She wasn't bad to me. She's a good mom. But we, we didn't really see eye to eye that much until I graduated from college. And all of a sudden, my mama just became the sweetest mama, and she would say to me, here's what she would say. She would say, I was coming back from a retreat center, pardon my story. I hadn't had any cell service. It was March the 6th, I hadn't had any cell service. I was coming back from a retreat center. And as soon as I got in cell range, I got a voice message pop up, and I answered the phone, called the voice message, it was Julie. She said, David, you need to call. Something's happened. And I called and she said, your mother has died. I said, no, she hasn't. And she said, yeah, she died. And I got to do, I was one of the ones who did her funeral. Now I've thought a lot about what she said after I graduated college. I haven't forgotten my story. She would say to people, I'm so proud of my son, the first preacher in his line of ancestors. And then she would say, I wish my mama Grandmama Feltz, her mama, who was the sweetest, sweetest syrup. Oh, she was the sweetest syrup. Had 478 grandkids. I don't, there were so many of us, but she would always love on me. And her favorite thing to say to me was, God bless your little heart, David. Mama would say, I just wish Grandmama Feltz had been here to hear you preach. And even when I think of my mama now, that's typically where my brain goes. Her saying, I wish Grandmama had been here to hear you preach. So Mama had a beautiful voice, you've heard me say that. And one of her favorite songs, one of the first songs I ever remember hearing her sing, is a song I want to sing to you. I sing to you now almost every week, and again, I just want to sing to you because I want to communicate a little bit of love to you. Uh, these are stressful times, and I don't want to underestimate the anxiety that a lot of us feel. Mama used to sing this song around the house, and it was one of the first songs I ever learned. I'm just going to sing a verse to you. The great physician now is near, the sympathizing Jesus. He speaks the drooping heart to cheer. Oh, hear the voice of Jesus. The, the next verse goes, His name dispels my guilt and fear, no other name but Jesus. Oh, how my soul delights to hear the precious name of Jesus. And when to that bright world above we rise to see our Jesus, we'll sing around the throne of love. His name, the name of Jesus. And here's the chorus. Sweet is note in seraph song, sweetest name on mortal tongue, sweetest carol ever sung, Jesus, 
blessed Jesus. I think of mama when I hear that song again. Okay, I said there are five points. Here's the last one. Use your words to build a picture, a vision of hope. Let people know it's going to get better. God is faithful. It's going to get better. You know, my message of hope to you is a lot of things, but here's one of them. We're going to get back together. I don't know when it's going to be. We're going to follow all the safety precautions that the, uh, that our, uh, the healthcare providers uh, tell us to follow. We're, ha we're happy to do that. We want to keep people safe. But one day we're going to get back together and knock. We're going to blow the roof off. You got power in your words. You got power in your words. This week I read a book by Terry Wardle. It's called Healing Care, Healing Prayer. It's a really good book. I suggest you read it, especially if you're a small group leader because it helps you, uh, you small group leaders, it will help you. Think through how to shepherd people. Let me give you the name again. It's Terry Wardle, Healing Care, Healing Prayer. He tells a story in there that I want to end with. He was speaking at a church near an air base, uh, Air Force Base. And he was having dinner, he says, with a couple of Air Force test pilots. This is his story, not mine. And he says, as they were talking, the pilots were talking about some of the problems they have with the sophisticated equipment. One of our elders, by the way, flew uh, Apache helicopters and can tell you about the sophistication. We've got a lot of pilots of some of the equipment. He said one of the problems that they faced was that in a crisis situation, all the alarms and all the lights are going off at once. And you might even be, in, if you're in a, in a fight, you might even be where you don't notice any of that. So he said one of the things they were experimenting with was to record a warning using the voice of a test pilot's wife husband or child. That way, they said, in the middle of some crisis, you would hear your own child's voice say, Daddy, the engine's on fire. They said everybody would stop then because they would hear it in a voice they recognized, a voice they knew that cared about them. What if you understood yourself as that voice? Your husband, your wife, they're thirsty, starving for your encouragement. Your children are starving for your, and it costs you nothing. Your parents probably want to hear some encouragement. The people you work for or the people who work for you, they're probably hungry for encouragement. Your small group needs encouragement right now. God is a God of encouragement who's given us so much that it can overflow into one another. So this week, encourage one another. God will bless us all because of it. Let's have our song.